The Bible says that by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he would after receive for inheritance, obeyed. We've been studying the life of Abraham. We've been studying how God uses Abraham as a symbol of all who would be faithful, who would live afterwards. The Bible says that he's not only the father of many nations, he's the father of all those who believe, right? And I believe that he's the spiritual father of those who are living by faith in the last days. The Bible says, Jesus told the Pharisees, if you were of your father Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham, right? And the works of, the, of the, your father you will do. So the last about, what, is it four or five weeks together, we have been studying the life of Abraham, the wonderful, wonderful man of faith. We've seen how he was willing to go. He was willing to answer that call of God and, and what it means for us today. We've seen, we saw last week, how he everywhere he went, he built an altar and how the, the worship of God and the instruction of his family in the teachings and the ways of God was very, very central to all that he did. Today we're looking at always giving. Father Abraham, the father of the faithful in the last days, he was always giving. We're going to be exploring a little more about this from three different stories in the life of Abraham. The first one we started looking at already here in our scripture for the morning, Genesis chapter 13 and verses 8 and 9. So if you're still there, um, we're going to be turning right back to Genesis chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at this story in greater detail. As we begin, I would just invite you to bow your heads for one more quick word of prayer. Father, we've come today because we need a blessing. We need your Spirit to guide us and to teach us. We want to be faithful to you in the last days of this earth's history. We want to be like Father Abraham, to do the works of our spiritual ancestor. And we just ask that you would give us a clear understanding of your will for our lives as we open your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 13, the story we began in Genesis chapter 12, the story of Abraham leaving, um, leaving Ur of the Chaldees, that very comfortable place, one of the more developed cities in the world at that time, a city of commerce and trade and, and travel. It was a luxurious town, and yet God called Abram to go out into a place he didn't even know where he was going. He called him to go into a land that he would afterward give him for an inheritance, but that promise that promise is going to be given in a, in a little clearer way um, a, little bit, um, a little bit later. Now, it said there in, in chapter 12, God said to Abram, Go out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. He didn't really say that he was going to give him that land. He just said, Go to that land that I'm going to show you. Here in, in Genesis chapter 13, we're going to have very clearly God gives the promise that Abraham is going to have, and his descendants will have the land that he is sojourning in. And so Abraham gets up and he goes, obeying God. What faith that was, don't you agree? That he was willing to go. He was willing to be what God wanted him to be. You see, God knew that if he stayed there in comfortable Ur of the Chaldees, he would never become the man of faith that God wanted him to become. He couldn't be the singular representative and symbol of, of living by faith. 
that Abram needed to be. And so to separate himself from those influences and from those attachments, God called him to leave and to, to leave his, his family and his associations behind and to go into a, an experience that would be singular in a way that nobody else could completely understand. So Abraham goes, and um, during this time that's intervened, he's been in Egypt because of a famine in the land. Um, chapter 13, he's coming back from Egypt, and he, by this time, his wealth has increased. His, his, his possessions have increased. God has blessed him. His flocks have been multiplying. They were healthy and, and strong, and Abram is coming back to Canaan, to the land which God had led him to in the beginning, and it says that Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. Verse 3 of, of Genesis 13 says, "...he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai." to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. We studied that last week. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram's been down in Egypt. He comes back to the very same plantation, the very same place where he had been uh, established before. And there his altar is, is still there, and he's calling on the name of the Lord. He's worshiping God. Remember, Abram, God knew that Abraham would lead his children to and instruct his children to follow God. Now, the thing is that Lot was with him. His nephew Lot was with him. Verse 5 says, Lot also went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Remember last week, we were actually talking about how Abram, when you talk about Abram's household, when we talk about Abram building an altar and having family worship, we think, of, we think of it in our context of a household. You know, we have three bedrooms and two bathrooms, and we have a few kids or, or you know, something along that scale. Abram's household was nothing like the households that we would think of today. Abram, we know this from the fact that that when, um, when the kings of, of the valley, the five kings of the valleys, were attacked by the four kings that, that took them, that's our next story we're going to be looking at, we know, that, we know that Abram took his servants and he armed them and he went and he rescued the five kings of the valleys, right? Remember that story? We'll look at details in a minute. But um, we know that it was, it was over 300 servants that Abram had that armed, he armed. Now, you just do the math. If he has 300 uh, battle-aged men, um, you know there's going to be women and children in his household as well, right? So Abraham, at this point in his life, must have had, and we read in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, um, that Abraham's household comprised more than a thousand souls. So when Abraham made this little altar there, it wasn't just so that, you know, um, Ishmael and Isaac could learn about his faith. He was teaching the entire household about the true God. And he was a witness. People were learning about the God of heaven. And this is why God was blessing Abraham, because he was faithful to teach. He comes back, he rebuilds his altar, and he worships God. Lot and he have uh, great possessions. I don't know how large Lot's family was at this time, but it sounds like they're both large, and so Lot and he are having conflict. At least their servants are having conflict. So Abram said to Lot, our scripture for today, verse 8, please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. I tell you, I think I could spend a whole sermon just on this 
this first preamble to Abraham's speech here. Um, you know, Abraham said, look, it's not worth fighting over, right? As Christians, as Abraham's descendants, spiritual descendants, Father Abraham has many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you, right? Um, so we're spiritual descendants of Abraham. Um, as Abraham's spiritual descendants, we ought to live like Abraham lived. Do you know it's better to suffer loss and avoid a fight with our brothers and sisters? That's what Abraham does. He says, look, there's, there's, there's no reason. For, we're brothers. We're relatives. We're family. And so there's, there's plenty of land. And notice what Abraham did. He could have said, you know, let's just settle this um, I'm the elder, and in the culture, he certainly was the elder. He was the uncle of Lot, and in the culture, it was, it was very, very um, clear that he would have been the one who would have had a final word in any disagreement between the two of them. But notice what he says in verse 9, "...is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left." What is Abraham doing? Abraham is, doing, is saying this. He's saying... It doesn't matter whether you make the choice of the better pasture land. You can have first pick. It doesn't matter if my seconds that I'm left over with, leftovers that I'm left with are inferior to yours. I'll still be fine. You see, Abraham is taking this attitude that I can't lose by giving something to you. And Abraham is saying, I will allow you to take the first choice and the first pick. Now, culturally, I, I still stand a bit amazed at this story, not just because of Abraham's uh, generosity, but also because of, of, of Lot's impertinence in accepting that generosity. It's quite astounding that Lot would sit there and say, oh, Uncle Abraham's given me the first choice. I'm going to choose first. He should have said, culturally, and I think it's just even ethically, he should have said, no, I came out here with you, I'm following you, I'm with you, you've been generous to me, I probably got my start because of you, right? I learned everything I know from you, you take the first choice and I'll go to wherever you don't want to go. That's what Lot, I would expect Lot to say, but Lot didn't think like that. Unfortunately, just because you are the physical descendants of Abraham's family doesn't mean you're the spiritual descendants. You understand that? There's sometimes, sometimes like, like, like the Jews in Jesus' day, they said, we're Abraham's children. We've never been in bondage any man. And, and Jesus said, no, you're not really Abraham's children. I mean, you are technically, but you're not really spiritually because you love lies and murder. And your father Abraham didn't do those things. If you, you, we do the things of our spiritual ancestors. So here Lot he wasn't literally a descendant of Abraham, but he's a relative of Abraham, a younger relative of Abraham, and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's, the, he's the brother, uh, the son of Abraham's brother, and Lot decides, I'm going to do what Uncle Abraham said, and I'm going to choose, and oh boy, if you look around, over here, there's that wonderful, green, verdant, grassy valley. I mean, it was rich, it was plush, it was, it was just so gorgeous, the flocks will prosper there. And um, Lot chose to go down into the plains, down into the valleys, um, and that's the best land for, for doing what he was wanting to do, and that was to get rich. Abraham, did it bother Abraham? There's no record of it bothering Abraham. After all, remember that Abraham had seen the promises afar of off, right? We studied this. 
They'd seen the promise afar off. They were persu- he was persuaded of them. He came to the point where he embraced them. And once he embraced them, made them his own, once he realized he was willing to confess that he was just a stranger and a pilgrim here. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, right? And so Abraham wasn't worried about that. Listen, you've probably heard the song, Little is Much When God is in it, right? It's better to have a little and the blessings of God than a lot without God's blessings. Now, I want to just stop right here and do a little bit of an a, 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 uh, excursion into the future of the story here. We're going to spend a little more time on this, but we're going to move on too for the sake of time. But let's just go a little bit into the future. Remember how the story ends? Did Abraham become poor because he allowed Lot to have the first choice? Did he? Did he become poor? Just, you know, his herds all died away and his servants went away? No. Listen, God was blessing Abraham because of his faithfulness to him. And the principles of God's word are principles of success. And even if he's up here on the parched hills of Mamre, he's not going to just wither away because God is going to bless him. I believe there were people that came to attach themselves to Abraham who wanted to work for him and with him because they wanted their families to have the influence and they wanted to learn from the, about the true God that Abraham served. And so God continued to bless Abraham. It's after this, after all, that, that he goes to war with the kings, right? The four kings. And so he's, um, he's, he's, he, that's when he has over a thousand in his household. He's not, just, he's not just withering away on the vine. He's not just having bankruptcy because he can't support himself. No, God continues to bless him. And in the end, and the end, Abraham sitting up here on these parched, barren um, hills and overlooking the green, verdant, grassy, uh, well-watered plains where Lot has chosen to dwell. In the end, who has more possessions? You know the end of the story, right? What happens to Lot and his possessions? It's all going to burn someday, folks. It's not worth fighting over it. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, here, Lot and his, and, and, and his possessions, they, say, they, they suffered what Jude calls the, um, the, the vengeance of eternal fire, and they became an example for the ungodly ever afterwards, right? That's what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. A, Lot lost everything he had, except for two daughters, in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, in the end, it doesn't always look that way, but in the end, God's way is always better. Let me say that a different way. In the end, it will be seen that you can't outgive God. God always wins in the final end. You cannot outgive God. Now, here's Abraham. He, you might say, well, he had, he had the ability to give. That's why he was so generous. I mean, he was rich, so it's not generous for a rich person to give. I've learned something in my little bit of life that I've experienced. I've learned that generosity is not a factor of how wealthy you are. It's an attitude of the heart. You can have it whether you're a billionaire or bankrupt. You can have generosity. Because giving is a spirit about us. Giving is, is an attitude and an, a way of looking at life. Because essentially giving, if we were to boil this down to its most elemental, uh, you know, concepts, giving 
is an illustration actually of the whole great controversy that we're in between Christ and Satan. You remember that in the beginning, there was just God, and God, God is love. We believe that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And there was just God. And, and the Bible tells us, the Old Testament scriptures tell us, that in the beginning, uh, before, before this world that we know now, there was, there was something weird that happened in heaven. There was an angel who started to have strange ideas. And those ideas were simply, at their core elements, all we can say is they were selfish, right? That's what sin is. Sin is selfishness. It's looking out for myself. The Bible says that Lucifer said in his heart, I will be like the Most High. He wanted Lucifer's place. He wanted, he wanted God's place. Lucifer wanted God's place. He wanted to have more attention drawn to himself. He was talented. He was good looking. And by the way, um, there's no question that in that passage where it talks about this self-centeredness, the, the, the Bible even says that God had ordained, had, 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 um, had decorated him basically with every precious stone, right? God, God had made him beautiful, and I believe God loves the beautiful. But there was, there was a problem that he began, the, the Bible says it, I'm not making this up, the Bible says your heart was lifted up in, in himself, his heart was lifted up in himself because of his beauty. That, that external focus became Lucifer's downfall. And Lucifer began to say, I, I, I. And even when he talked to his other angel friends, he was saying, I have this idea. We could make heaven better, but it was his idea. Was how he could be, get more recognition. And he was going to be the savior and, and make things better in heaven. And, and this, whole, this whole great controversy that we're a part of now, where we have sin and suffering, is all because of selfishness, self-centeredness. Uh, this is one paradigm you could boil the whole story of human, human pain and suffering down to. Selfishness versus unselfishness. Are you with me? Selfishness of Lucifer saying I, and the unselfish agape love of God, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so Lucifer has been developing his little, his little, his little, uh, his little narrative of what the world would be like if he could, if he could run it. But it's a selfish, it's, it's, what, it's what I can get for myself. And even, even though now he's a defeated foe, even though now his end is, his destiny is certain and sure, he's still trying to cause as much pain and suffering to everyone else around him, especially to the heart of God, because he is at his core essence selfish. God, on the other hand, came down and demonstrated that even though he's all-powerful, he was willing to be a servant. He was willing to wash the disciples' feet. Not only that, he was willing to take your sin and my sin and the penalty of our sin, the death. He was willing to say, I'll take it for them. Jesus Christ went to Calvary's tree and he spread his arms and he said, I want to show you how much I love you. And the contrast between selfish Satan inciting the mob to cause pain to the heart of God, the selfish heart of Satan wanting the recognition and the worship of God, and on the other hand, the unselfish heart of God dying for our sins. This is the contrast of the great controversy. Self-seeking versus unselfish love. And is it too much of a stretch for us to say this morning that we could, we could 
say that giving, generosity, is a, fre- is a reflection of the unselfish heart of God. Now, what if I don't have any money? I can still have the unselfish heart of God. And it can be is something as small as noticing people. I'll tell you, this is a problem I have sometimes. Um, when I was a teacher, I would often be around my students, and sometimes they would say, well, you're in a bad mood. I, well, I didn't know that I was in a bad mood. I was just very much in my own world. You know, I was busy. I was thinking about something else. I might pass them on a sidewalk, and it never even occurred to me that they were there. That's how, that's bad, I know. I'm, I'm incriminating myself. That happens sometimes. But I realize that the unselfish heart is not wrapped up in itself. The unselfish heart is looking outward. It's seeing others' people's needs. You don't have to have money to be generous. You don't have to have money to have the unselfish heart of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can have this spirit of Abraham no matter what our financial situation is. Abraham was just giving. That was his person. That was who he was because he was reflecting the character of God. He was living a life of unselfishness. And so I have to take a pause when I think about Father Abraham, if he's my spiritual father, if he's, if he's the one that I want to do the works of, how is my heart, is my heart always giving like Abraham's heart was? What an amazing man, amazing story we have here of of Abraham. Well, let's continue on here to the next story. We've got three, and so we'll try to move quickly. Next chapter, Genesis chapter 14, and we're going to focus particularly on the, 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 the verses 18 to 20, but I want to just sort of give a little bit of a, a summary of the first 18 verses, 17 verses. Remember, Lot's moved down to um, near Sodom and Gomorrah, and I suppose at first he didn't live right in Sodom. I mean, everybody knew that it was a wicked city, I suppose. I mean, it, was definitely, um, it definitely wasn't what Uncle Abraham had, uh, had raised him to value. But you know how it is. He moves down there close where he could see all those mansions, and, and he could, he could, he could um, you know, his kids were influenced by it, and they got friends that were in Sodom, and they'd go, and they, you know, they had, they had all the comfortable accruements of life, and before long, somehow, Lot found himself living in Sodom. Sometimes those, those life transitions just happen over, um, you know, gradual compromises, right? He's living in Sodom. And um, so when the king's of, um, of the uh, east, I guess they would have been, Shinar and Elazar and Elam and um, Tidal, king of nations, when all these guys came um, and made war with the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other cities in the valley, um, they actually um, had a problem. And um, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and those, the kings of the cities of the valley, they were defeated and um, they, they uh, were, many of their inhabitants were kept, were taken captive. Let's just read verse 11. It says, Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They took also Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Now, we don't know. Again, it says he dwelt in Sodom right here. And the last part of verse chapter 13, it just says um, that he moved down into the, into the plain um, near Sodom. But um, here they're living in Sodom. They, they, there's a few who escaped, or one at least who escaped, and came and told Abram the Hebrew. 
So here Abraham gets word. Your nephew has been taken captive along with all the others in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities in the plain. And so, you know, I don't know, but if, if, if I had taken offense to what Abraham, to what Lot did to me earlier, I might have been tempted to say, well, that suits him, right? If I had been offended by, Ab- by Lot's impertinence in accepting the first choice and going down and getting the best land for himself, I might have said, well, that's what he gets. But is that what Abraham said? Remember, Abraham's not like me. Abraham has a heart that's full of unselfishness. He's always giving. And Abraham has this um, urgent message come to him that Lot's in trouble. He's, he's lost everything he had. He has nothing now. And he's a captive and he's being carried off. He'll probably become a slave, him and his family. So what does, what does Abraham do? Instead, he risks his own life and that of his house, that of his servants. Now, you would think... You would think, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah and other cities, they weren't just small little villages. These were significant towns. And you would think that if the kings had, had, um, had defeated them, that Abraham would say, well, there's no point in me going. But somehow, I guess little is much when God is in it, right? Abraham must have known that principle. And so Abraham says, let's go get them. And, um, and, and I suppose maybe he knew that they'd be all excited after their great victory and they'd be drunk or something and he'd have no trouble. I don't know. But he knew that God was going with him. And so Abraham gets his servants and um, the story is here, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in Genesis chapter 14, that he armed 318 trained servants who were born in his own house. Again, that's where we get the size of Abraham's household, right? And 318 trained servants, he arms them, and he goes by night, divides them. Abraham's quite a, a, strate, uh, a strategizer, right? He's a military mind, not just a great shepherd. I mean, this guy's amazing. He, um, he divides up his, so, his servants, and they attack, and they completely, completely um, overcome these, these four kings. They um, pursue them as far as Hoba, which is north of Damascus. And so he brought back not only the captives, but he basically he was able to bring back all of the wealth of the cities of the plains. And rightfully, that wealth belonged to him. But notice what it says in verse 17. Um, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of, of Shadorlamor and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And the Bible says here that he gave him a tithe of all. It's a very interesting story, fascinating story. Here God has, has given Abraham the victory over these enemies. They've taken their possessions. And Abraham, the first thing that Abraham does, the very first thing Abraham does, is he says, I'm going to give God what, God what is due to him. I'm going to give him the tithe. Now, <clears throat> I suppose <clears throat> this is an, this is, there's, there's several things we could read into this act of Abraham. One of the things we could read into this, we could see that this is rightfully his gain, right? Because tithe is paid off of our increase. So he's saying, this, I, God has blessed me with this. I'm going to give it back, his part, back to God. He gave him tithes of, of, of everything. But notice in the next verses, <clears throat> verse 21, the king of Sodom says to Abraham, Give me the persons, people, 
and take the goods for yourself. I mean, that was expected. I mean, listen, he was just thankful to have, have the people back. This is what Abraham's response was, verse 22. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. Do you understand what Abraham's saying? Listen, Mr. King of, of, of Sodom, you don't even own that to begin with. The God that I serve owns everything, right? I don't need this because the God that I, have own, that I serve owns everything. I have raised my hand to the, to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. <clears throat> I want the world to know that I'm not rich I'm not blessed because I accumulated, I inherited, or I overtook the wealth of the world. I am blessed because the God of heaven has blessed me. Abraham, we could have a whole sermon just on Abraham's ethics here, couldn't we? Abraham wanted the world to know that Sodom wasn't responsible for his prosperity. God was. And Abraham gave everything back except what the, the food that the young men had eaten, the 318 soldiers. He said, that's going to be part of the deal. Um, but everything else is returned. He gave it all back. Now, I'm sure that Abraham saw some pretty nice clothes that his, some of his poor shepherd's families could have been benefited from, don't you think? I mean, don't you think there's some nice things from Sodom that these kings had taken and plundered and were taken off with? I'm sure Abraham could have found use for it and put it to good use, probably better use than, this, than the children of, of Sodom. But Abraham took nothing because Abraham wasn't looking out for number one. He knew God would do that. He was always giving. The third and last story we'll look at today, found a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 18. <clears throat> we don't have time to look at the whole story. But we're just going to look at, <clears throat> at what happens here at the beginning. This is a story of when the Lord met with Abram. Abram uh, the Lord and two angels came to, um, to Abram's tent there in the valley. Wouldn't it be amazing if God came to your house one day? Isn't that just amazing? I mean, Abraham's called the friend of God. And um, here's quite a story. The Bible says in verse 18, The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door of the heat of the day. <clears throat> So he lifted his eyes and looked. Here's Abraham. He's, he's, he, sees, he sees somebody. He saw three men standing by him. Um, did he see, did he know that one of them was God? No, he had no idea. He didn't know that these were heavenly messengers, divine messengers that were come to, um, to see about the, the, the future of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, so he lifted his eyes. He sees three men standing by him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that you may pass by, inasmuch as you have come to your servant. What you see in Abraham is that even though he was an amazingly influential man, 
I mean, he is famous now in the whole region. You have to know that, right? Because of this a series, a series of battles and so forth. He has a household with over a thousand people, a part of it, servants and flocks and herds and, and very, very well-to-do. Abraham didn't know who these two or three men were, but he said, I am going to do something nice for them because Abraham is always giving. Abraham is always not thinking about himself, he's thinking about others. And there's somebody, I mean, Abraham's enjoying the shade in the cool of the day, and he sees someone out there who's going down the road. This isn't a nice time to be traveling. I mean, have any of you ever been to that part of the world? It gets really hot. I mean, it gets hot here. But I remember one summer in Turkey, I started to understand more why in that part of the world, hospitality and giving a glass of water is so, so very important, because it's really hot, and sometimes there's a long ways between water, you know? And um, I can't imagine. It's, 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 it's one thing driving in a car. I can't imagine walking from city to city. And uh, so Abraham sees these, and he's not thinking of himself. He's not thinking, oh, I'm tired, I'm hot. He's thinking, they need something. You see how Abraham thinks? He thinks about other people. He doesn't think about himself. He thinks about other people. And so here he sees these three individuals, and he says, come. And, and notice he treats them with such respect. He's such a renowned person, such an important person. He's actually, after all, he's the friend of God. But is he arrogant? Is he egotistical? Or is he, he's, he's saying, let your servant, my Lord. He's addressing them in a, very, in a very respectful way, not even knowing who they are. And he's being very, very respectful, not because he knew he had to, but because it was who he was. You understand, my friend? In the, in the final analysis, it's really not about who, what we do. It's about who we are. Only God can change this. My heart. I need a miracle. God to change my heart. To make me somebody I'm not. To make me who he wants me to be. And then the other things that will come out will come out naturally. Sometimes we have a checklist religion. We, we forget, we, we get the cart before the horse. Remember, we try, to, we try to do the things. What I need is God to do something to me. Because it's, Ab it's just who Abraham is. He's always thinking of others. This little morsel of bread that Abraham said he was going to prepare... <laughs> Abraham hurried to the tent, verse 6, and, and said to Sarah, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, hastened to prepare it, took butter and milk, and calf to be prepared. I mean, this was, a, this was a regular feast, a little morsel of bread. Abraham is always giving. The Bible says that... Um, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And here, Abram is one of those who unwittingly entertained angels. We won't go into the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah and 50 righteous and 10 righteous. And, but what we see here is that Abraham is not thinking of himself. He's thinking of others always giving. The Bible says also in, in Acts, um, Acts chapter 20 and uh, verse 35, I have showed you all things 
sorry, my compute, my equipment's not working very well with me today. I've shown you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus taught. Jesus taught the same thing that Abraham lived by. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If we continue on, we, we notice Amy, Marca, Amy Carmichael said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And this is why I think it's important for us not just to have a checklist, we gave our tithes, we gave our offerings, but simply to ask God to give us a heart that's full of unselfish love for those around us. A heart that is willing to spend and be spent because remember, you cannot outgive God. Uh, Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. We can give our time, we can give our talents, we can give our influence. It's when we have a heart like Abraham's, like that of our Savior, like that of the God, God of heaven, that we can experience what true living is all about. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, we'll close with this text from Jesus. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For at the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Remember, you cannot outgive God. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. And one of these days, we're just pilgrims here, right? We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We're looking for a country which has foundations. We're looking for, we're looking for a, a better land that the Bible promises will be the inheritance of the meek. And so I don't know about you, but I want to live a life like Father Abraham. Not, so that I, not, not for what I can get, but for what I can give. I want to have that experience of always giving like Abraham was always giving. I want to have the experience of being able to focus and see other people's needs and not be focused on myself. You know, there's a saying that says a, a man wrapped up in himself is a very small package, right? And that's very true. If we would just be looking out, looking out to see who we can be blessing. I know, I know that there's somebody that's going to cross paths with you this week, every single one of you, who you can be a blessing to. You can, whether it's just a smile, a, a genuine how are you, whether it's taking concern, being interested. And after all, you, we don't know. Don't be forgetful to entertain strangers because some of them might even be angels. And um, God wants us to have the blessing that giving can bring. Do you want that experience in your heart, in your life? Let's bow our heads as we pray together. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for the example, the life of faith lived by Abraham. Lord, what, a, what an amazing life of, of living and giving of being not self-centered and worried about himself and his own stress. I'm sure it was hard to manage his household and do all the things that he needed to do, but yet he still thought about others. That's what his focus was on. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to have that self-forgetfulness that Abraham had. I pray that you would help us, Lord, not by following a checklist and doing things, but, Lord, just work a miracle in my life today. Give me a new heart. I need it today. I need it tomorrow. I need it every day. I need the miracle of your love being put in this heart of stone, a heart of flesh, a heart of love taking its place that, that I can truly live to give 
as Abraham did. Lord, if, if each one of us have that experience, what a town Dalton will be. If each of us finds somebody this week that every, we, 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 we try to make sure nobody passes through the sphere of our influence without them knowing that we're interested in them and that, that we care about them. We can make a difference in this town for Jesus. I pray that you would help us to be the children of Abraham. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.